resume. Resume. Well, I, and now we have to talk about fun stuff. Well, yes. Real quick, um, come to Josh's and Groobs' show. Oh, yeah, July 8th. That's Saturday. July 8th. It's Groobs' birthday and our drummer Joey's birthday. It's going to be a big celebration, and it shouldn't be too hot outside. It's looking like it's going to be pretty decent. You know, it's all going to be at night after it gets dark. I think it's going to be around 82 degrees whenever Groobs starts and a nice breezy 77 when our set starts, so it's going to be nice. Man, that's going to be such a change for me. I know, it sounds really hot. So hot for you. It was toasty the other day at a at a hot high seventy two, uh-huh. um, but yeah, it'll. I you know what I'm gonna. I grew up in it. I can adjust. It's not gonna be a problem. I will be there though. That's the thing that uh, I really want to plug. Yeah, yeah. Eric will be in in Texas for the first time in what since you got your doctor's degree at Baylor. Hmm. Um, when was I last in, well, I've gone to Texas. You have, you visited since you left Houston? Yes. I visited my family when I still spoke with my mom. Uh, and then I went to my grandmother's funeral. So thanks for bringing that up. Uh huh. Um, and that was 2000. We flew from Japan. So that was 2000. When did she die? Maybe 16 or something like that. I've I have gone back for like South by Southwest like work kind of stuff. Okay, um, but I hate Austin, uh, so yeah, does it really count? Uh, and I've been lips. in airports, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. the The libs are the ones that uh, destroyed an entire downtown just to build hotels that are empty for fifty weeks out of the year. But that one two week period really puts you I on the map. Two week period, yeah, where it and absolutely you can, sucks and you could charge you could charge everyone like seven hundred dollars a night for a room to make yeah. up for the rest of the year. I was always such a good. I don't know why I did that to myself. I was like, you know what? I'll find a cheap hotel to be in. No, I know why I did that to myself because I want to get paid for like <laughs> a month or two afterwards to reimburse it. <laughs> I'm not spending two thousand dollars up front. Yeah. To stay no shit. close. Sleep um, in your car. God, I wanted to sometimes. But yeah, so I'll be in Dallas uh, and then I'll be in Denton for that show. Yeah, come say um, hi to Eric. Either you will you can see him July 5th, Wednesday at the Blink-182 concert. Mm-hmm. We'll be there. We'll be there. Uh, I won't tell you what section we're in, but we're probably going to end up in the pit for turnstile. So if you make it to the pit for turnstile, we'll be in there. Just find us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be dressed like little cowboys all yeah. doing a synchronized dance. We're definitely going to be eating at some of the finest restaurants in Dallas up and down Lower Greenville Avenue on the on some of the nights. And then that Saturday we'll be in Denton. So lots of chances to see Eric. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll just start dropping pins wherever we are on social media <laughs> so you guys can follow us. Beautiful. Yeah, I should have stickers with me. So... If you want a nice big sticker, okay. Uh, what is it of? Come say hi. It's of the the my best painting, the little girl with the flower. Okay, okay, awesome. I didn't know um, you made stickers. Yeah, I only texted the group about it the other day. No big deal. Oh, is that what all your mailing things were? 
You're yeah, yeah. Okay, I thought you That's... were using. I thought that you had been using like uh, the post office free cardboard boxes as like the backgrounds for your stencils or something. And you were like showing us, look at all the, look at all this unintentional artwork I made. <laughs> no, these are the. Those are the. Uh, free stickers they hand out, which okay. um, I've I've seen people. That's like a street art thing is getting those stickers because they there you can get a roll of a thousand of them for zero dollars. <laughs> Damn, I need to know where that is. You got to tell me that because they don't do band stickers like that for free around here. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, you got to have a way it, to print they make on you it. Pay but. for them. Yeah, I thought about actually making good stickers, but. I was like, well, I have a bunch of spray paint and some time. Um, <laughs> so I made, for the first time ever, uh, rep- replicated stencils. Um, okay. I have videos I'm going to put together, but I, yeah, it's a- it was actually really cool. I made it kind of like a screen printing sort of setup where I had, I had like the square drawn on the cardboard where I needed to put the piece of paper, and then I had the acetate stencil taped down with a hinge so i could just like lay it down right on top okay and, um so it was actually really cool i made some good prints too but i'm not sure what i'm gonna do with those yet uh i want to make a lot more of them but i don't know if the quality will hold up for that long because the funny thing about spraying the same stencil with spray paint for like roughly 40 times in a row is paint starts to build up mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> at parts. Uh, hadn't really considered that. Have you, um, can you, have you tried like a harder plastic material or something like that to create the stencils out of that you want to? Yeah. Yeah. The it's six, six mil um, acetate that I'm using for these. So the stencils holding up totally fine. It's just the, the paint gets like goopy mm-hmm. and like starts to clog up like the small sections yeah. and stuff. Just um, got to leave them in like, uh, was that stuff that, not paint thinner. I can't remember. What's the stuff that removes uh, spray paint? I can't think of terms right now. Turpentine? I don't know. I, I put, <laughs> I mean, I guess that's paint thinner. Yeah, turpentine's a good way to kill yourself. Yeah, so yeah. I don't have any of that. Or, um, or start a fire. Yeah, my grandmother had turpentine. She was like the first person that, started teaching me how to paint and stuff. And I always just remember, she was like, leave the room. I'm going to clean the brushes. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't want me getting cancer at the age of four. Yeah, I wonder if like a uh, nail polish remover or something would work on that uh, that acetate without messing it up. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Um, but I'm not too concerned about it. I'll just make another one. I do that kind of stuff all the time. All right. Well, but anyways, you're the artist. Yeah, I don't. Why would I make it easy on myself? <laughs> it's it's about the struggle. That's what you're trying to convey in all your work. Yeah, I mean, literally, yes. Oh, 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 oh,
make these struggle paintings easily or people won't get it. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you read my article, you would understand that. I did um, read your article. That's how, oh, that's you. how I got to know you. <laughs> yes, you finally got to know yeah. me. Uh, so, as we left off, we mentioned the story of Jesus having all of these like allegories in Greek and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think it's kind of interesting that the there's so many parallels between like the story of Jesus and the Old Testament. Yes. Uh, not just in a prophecy sort of way, but in a... If you're literally thinking about there's people who want to like calm down uh, the Messianic Jewish people from rising up, what better way to tell them uh, your true Messiah came, so chill out, please, than to model it after Moses? Right. Um, just, and this is all funny stuff because like whenever I was coming to terms with like not being religious anymore, I used to know all of this stuff, but since I'm not religious, I don't keep it in my head. So I don't care because I don't care anymore. Um, so going back to relearn this kind of stuff is like, oh, yeah, that is weird. <laughs> like, you know, see, I wish I could go to like a like a concentration camp that would make me forget. Like, okay. <laughs> like I need to go. I need to go to some internment camp where they like deprogram me. Uh-huh. <laughs> because it's just stuck. It's like there as, as like the foundational structures of my brain just hold, like hold this information and I can't get away from it. Yeah, maybe, um, you know, I recommend something to remove the ability to remember things as, you know, some real good childhood neglect. <laughs> That's, that helps uh, just cause your brain to not be able to form memories. It's great. Or, or when all, all of these memories are associated with all the personal shame you felt for all the things you did as a child, like you'll never forget yeah. them. You will never forget them. They're hardwired into you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense. Uh, poor Josh, you know, <laughs> hold a good thought. Um, so, you know, um, just running down the list, escaped being killed as a baby uh, when the decree of the Pharaoh slash King Herod uh, condemned all male infants to death. Mm-hmm. Um, was not Egyptian, but lived among Egyptians uh, who protected them as an infant. Um, was raised, and of course, you know, we mentioned this before, but Egyptians, the Egyptian empire is like expanding into the, the what we would consider like Middle East, yeah, you know, region. They're not going to, they're not, Jesus is not at the top of the Sphinx. Um, uh, was raised with the legal right to become a king somehow. Right, but also um, raised by someone who wasn't his biological father. Raised by someone not a biological father. Uh, yeah, raised to become a king, but belonged to the nation of Israel slash Judah, mm. um, which was ruled by a foreign government, either Egypt or Rome. Um, freed f- his people from slavery through a lamb without a blemish, a male of the first year. Um Jesus being the Lamb of God, uh, without a blemish on him, came out of Egypt, returned out of Egypt, passed through the Red Sea, passed through the waters of baptism. So a little shaky foundation there. Well, the, and but the other thing is like the Moses story. If you like want to get into like, did he actually part the Red Sea? All that type of stuff. Um, that there are other 
uh, sort of radical Messiah figures during the time of Jesus that claim they can part the River Jordan similar to the way that Moses parted the Red Sea. And they are put down by Pontius Pilate for claiming to do that because he's like, no, we're fucking not having you go do a demonstration of miracles. <laughs> <laughs> but like the River Jordan is the is that body of water for Jesus, too. Like that's where he's baptized by John the Baptist. He crossing the River Jordan is a big deal. All that type of thing. And it's still a place for pilgrimage in modern times. Um, yeah. You know, you. Uh, I don't know if it was in the River Jordan, but my grandfather took my aunt and her family uh, to Israel a few years ago, and I think they all did a baptism thing. Um, but you know, uh, totally made up stuff. So who cares? Um, and you know, Moses gave law from a mountain, as as Jesus did. So there's quite a few similarities there. Well, uh, the, yeah, and the Sermon on the Mount is basically just like. Hey, you guys remember all those Old Testament laws? Still good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's you know, you get you get this this lining up with Moses, you get these different aspects in the New Testament where uh, you know, God and the word tempted doesn't sound right to me, but I also again don't remember the stories that well, so I can't, you know, it's hard to look up things that are in the Bible without ha- being like, without wanting to read the Bible. <laughs> uh, so, but the, you know, God, as I have read and everything, they describe it as God was tempted by the Israelites um, and, and, you know, refused these different things. And Jesus was tempted by the devil, uh, you know, three times like the, well, there's also Moses is tempted to like, just be just go straight your Egyptian and like do this you'll live in a fucking palace you'll have so many women you'll have all the money in the world just be just be fucking Egyptian what's your problem uh what is the the thing where like the Israelites ask God for bread and he was like man does not subsist on bread alone uh that's when they're wandering in the desert and then they get manna from heaven which is just the bread from heaven Right. So there's there's that. And, you know, Jesus says like pretty much the same thing to the devil. Mm-hmm. This is another instance where the conspiracy theory that the Flavius family uh, influenced it by sort of rewriting that story, but casting the Jewish people as the devil, because to them... The Jewish people keep causing problems. Yeah, that that all is over the place. This is an interesting development too. In the one that it becomes way more convenient to blame the crucifixion of Jesus on the Jewish people rather than the Roman population, which is the correct thing. And but blame. the but the part of that too also is. If, for example, like John the Baptist was probably much more popular than Jesus in the time. If Jesus wasn't that popular of a figure, like he was just one of another, you know, handful of other sort of uh, guys like him in the same period of time, um, you need to elevate, you need to elevate his death. And then you also need to somehow separate him from the Jewish tradition. If Jesus, yeah. if Jesus is a 
is a Jew and Jesus is there trying to do all of the stuff and interpret the Torah and interpret the resurrection and the eventual Messiah from a Jewish perspective, the advantage to making him a cult hero that makes him last a lot longer is you have to separate him from that Jewish tradition. You have to make him a different thing. Um, uh, so that people aren't just like, well, he was telling us to just follow the Jewish tradition. So we'll figure out, we'll build another, we'll just rebuild the temple and we'll, we'll just keep going with the way things were. And you know, we're, we're steadfast people who might get a few setbacks here and there from emperors and Kings, but we're going to last forever. Like that, the idea that you just mattered because you were part of, uh, a lineage uh, from Abraham and that you're just part of this family isn't enough anymore. And you don't even want to be say that like that is the thing that matters most. The thing that matters most now is that you had a revolutionary that revolted against that tradition and now you have a whole new system of spirituality that no longer has to do with these going to the temple and doing and maintaining your good graces by ma- doing these sacrifices and things. Jesus did the sacrificing thing and the people that told you all those other sacrifices were the most important thing to keep you in the good graces of God. Those were the ones that killed him. So he's the sacrifice. He's the faith. This is the whole thing. Now we have a whole new interpretation of the way everything works. We separate Jesus from the Jewish, um, uh, Jewish issue. He's not, he is a, a rebuttal to it. Yeah, it's, it's, I told you this and um, this was like the most mind blowing thing that nobody had ever connected the dots for me on. And I, I explained it to Miho too. And she was like, Whoa, <laughs> like <laughs> nobody had connected the dots to her either. But you know, again, it's different type of interpretation of Christianity, but the, <clears throat> the uh, under nobody ever explained to me, God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac to prove that he loved uh, God, mm-hmm. which, you know, a little, that's a red flag. Um, if anybody ever tells you to sacrifice your child to prove your love to them, that's a not a good thing. Or or it's a sign of a really good thing because God only asks that of people that he knows are his most devout and faithful, which should, right. it's like a clue that you're doing the best at this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> hope my mother's not listening. <laughs> uh, so, so the, at the last minute, God's like, whoa, whoa, hold on with that knife. Here's a ram instead. Uh, you'll sacrifice that, you know, save your son. Um, he was thinking about it that night and he's like, God, is that a little too harsh? And so he changed his mind, said, here's the ram. Um, but you have to sacrifice a ram once a year to maintain this promise between the two of us. and Or Isaac's just nope. going to be walking around one day and just going to fall dead. Yes. The day you and forget to do the ram. <laughs> nobody explained to me that the Jewish tradition uh, was based on sacrifices for so long, mm-hmm. for so many years. And then Jesus is sacrificed and he's the final sacrifice because this is a human sacrifice yep. to God. So you no longer need to sacrifice animals 
uh, or your crops or spend money as Jewish people started doing around that time. Um, because he's, he's the ultimate sacrifice. Nobody explained to me that that is why you consider Jesus the final sacrifice. I only thought they were trying to be like, he's a martyr. So you have to believe he's the son of God. (laughs) It never made sense to me to connect the history of the Jewish tradition to that. I mean, in, even in the new Testament, he's literally called the lamb of God. But it nobody explained to me Jewish stuff. <laughs> Why would he stuff. be called a lamb? I don't know because lambs are cute, and Jesus had that face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just an nobody ever face. explained it to me. Um, and you know the the other important thing to note is like uh, in the Jewish faith, they around this time had stopped sacrificing lambs and stuff like that too. So you know lines up kind of perfectly well. But to then use that as like it's based on this religion but it's a totally different thing uh it lines up perfectly well um well politically it it made sense you could marginalize the 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 much stronger group of people in the in the Judeans by marginalizing their religion from this messiah aspect so and basically saying they did the bad thing they're the ones that did the sacrifice so any of you christians need to make sure you're not hanging around with these uh ne'er-do-wells um so that that helped define this drive a political wedge between a group that might have if they had you know come to common terms been powerful if they had stick stuck together and been much more a problem for rome this is a lesson (laughs) yeah um yeah so i think henceforth describing how Christianity really became popular is probably the direction to go. Yeah. So I'm you we can start I would say let's start with Paul cuz like his main thing and the big part of the New Testament with Paul is his letters to the Ephesians and the Corinthians and the Thessalonians because like his he was trying to do the thing, you know, uh go go out and spread the spread the good word to the people and once they find out the good word all they got to do is like believe about the resurrection thing and the, the sacrifice and then they're saved too and then we just keep we keep multiplying this thing's going to go viral it's going to go viral um <laughs> one of the funny things is reading and when you read sort of the contemporary analysis from different um historians and even josephus and things at the time some of the writings that are in rome and in greece um they they make fun of these early versions of christians as like the cannibal, they're like a cannibal cult (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it is like it gets, you know, passed down that, oh yeah, you know, you know, flesh of my flesh. And they're doing, they're, they're, they're eating their, they're eating their Messiah as a, as a way of, as a way of internalizing the spirituality. And there are like jokes in plays in, uh, in just common, uh, in common writings that are, you know they're referencing Christians when they start to make like cannibal jokes, <laughs> like in at the theater in Greece they'll go and they do it's they're doing like slapstick comedy where Christians get sick because they're eating human flesh and everyone laughs because they're like all oh, these stupid Christians they don't know you're not supposed to eat people. <laughs> yeah, the, I mean theater was so great around that time. Have you ever seen the movie adaptation of a funny thing happened on the way to the market? No. It's a it's a fantastic it's 
in the style i believe it's roman um but it's it's really good like comedy kind of stuff uh or uh, i'm sorry a funny thing happened on the way to the forum because mm. you have you know that's not the market that's the forum yeah um but yeah it's uh i i recommend that kind of stuff it's a 60s uh thing i think all, all that to say is that Christianity is not doesn't have a strong foothold. It's not like a universally held thing amongst lots of people. I think even the at the time, like the estimates were like it's less than two percent of the population of Rome is even has an an inkling towards practicing any type of Christianity. But it is prevalent enough that it is like telling Aggie jokes or something yeah. amongst the just the cultural uh, uh, way of being around around the time like that the the funny jokes uh, about Christians like still are around <laughs> it's funny too because didn't Paul like so he he traveled he was a Roman citizen who uh, was named Saul um, which doesn't sound very Roman to me well, he's from Tarsus, so he's, I don't know. He's not, like, from Rome, but... Yeah, but that's Tarsus, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, was on his way to, as as the story goes, persecute some Christians, because just hates them. Just real tired of them. Um, and then has, you know, uh, probably drank the wrong route and had a vision of Jesus visiting him, um, which again, I don't remember any of this story. Like Saul's big he, thing he's is not one of the 12 apostles. No, was, no, he's after Saul's a uh, big deal is that, uh, he's stricken blind oh, okay. by God. And then when he, uh, his revelation that God is real and changing his name to Paul and God, you know, uh, shows mercy on him for, you know, changing his life around and then gives him his sight back. And as a, as a big thanks for giving me my sight back, I'm just devoting the rest of my life to Christianity and spreading the word of Jesus. Yeah. Why didn't God just do this to everybody persecuting? It probably would have been easier. I mean, he tried it with me and it just hasn't worked. It wouldn't, it was like the reverse. So I I think that's what it was. Like he was doing the blindness trick and he only had, it was like a 50, 50 outcome. Like either they were totally hardcore Christ afterwards or totally turned their back on it. And he was like, okay, this is too risky to keep playing this trick on people. We're just going to have to just stop doing the blindness deal. Yeah. That's probably, you were, you know, I appreciate you taking the fall for us. I suppose. (laughs) Um, yeah, the Paul, so then he changes his name to Paul. Um, understanding his influence is very interesting. So he's a Roman citizen, so he can go anywhere in the empire extremely easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and he travels to like the different churches and writes letters to them, trying to convince them of the story of Jesus. Now I'm going to need your help on this because I heard somewhere that Paul like does not get into very many specifics of Jesus, um, like doesn't mention all twelve of the apostles. Mm-hmm. Um, which, if you've ever been to a church in modern day, they will t- they will list off all twelve of them very quickly. That's a big part of talking about Jesus, right? Um, well, so yeah. very interesting that Paul would not stress that point right he wasn't a big on the those 
the rest of the guys. <laughs> I mean, if you read the other funny thing is if you've grown up in the in the Christian church, you you read the interpretation of Paul's letters from the Christ perspective that like everyone was on board, but there were a couple just churches that you know they kept fucking up and so paul had to keep sending them letters saying hey guys get your act together it's gonna you know we're you do it the way i said or it's gonna get bad and then it would get bad for them and he'd be like see i told you so and you know so this is a lesson to all of us like uh mind paul's letters do do the stuff right and it won't go bad the the more historical archaeological interpretation of that stuff one is not much evidence of the letters like in the time that they're supposed to be being sent. What? Probably likely that Paul didn't write them and probably likely that Paul isn't the author, original author, but maybe he had like oral tradition that he passed down and you had like hundreds of other people try to piece those stories together a few hundred years later and put it all like that. But interesting that they would still maintain (laughs) the letters the way that they're written because it's obvious that Paul's just not doing a good job. <laughs> <laughs> All of the letters are like, okay, yeah, I went down there and like, it's been a couple months and you guys, I got, I just got word that you're not doing any of the shit I said. And then they'll write a letter back to him and they'll be like, yeah, because this other guy came in and his stuff was like way cooler than yours. Um, and so we were like, yeah, maybe not so much the messiah but we'll still do some of the jewish tradition stuff that made more sense because you know my parents did that stuff and that we'd we'd like to just keep some of those traditions anyway and you're saying we can't do those traditions anymore so kind of don't like your rabble rousing brand of of trying to drive wedges amongst the the greater congregation here at our 200 person church in ephesia so uh kind of just stick to yourself paul um, and that's kind of the way that it seems like it goes for him <laughs> throughout all of the letters. Like, he's trying really hard, but he's like fighting. Obviously, he's not the only nomadic guy going around the coast of the Mediterranean, like stopping in and checking on people in churches. There's a lot of other people doing the same thing, and they all have differing opinions on how this is supposed to go. And so the churches are just like, I don't know which one we're supposed to do. We're going to try a little bit of yours. We'll try a little bit of the other guys. Hopefully it all works out, Paul. Thanks for coming by. Yeah, the I think the point that makes him so influential is he uh so far as we can tell um said that they should be preaching to non-Jews. This is he's saying like because of Jesus this is no longer a yeah. you have to be related to each other in order to practice this. Right. Um Gentiles can have faith too, which is another big, that is a driving point in a lot of the letters. I think that's Thessalonians. Maybe it's Corinthians. I can't remember now, but uh, where they're like, yeah, but uh, (laughs) we got these Jewish family members. (laughs) Yeah. Didn't he like cause a riot in one of the cities and then was jailed because he like invited non-Jews, non-circumcised. Right, right. That's right. Not only non-circumcised, but he was also like, and, uh, you guys of you know the Jewish tradition and the lineage, you guys got to stop circumcising too. This is like everybody, no more circumcising. What are we doing? Yeah, um, yeah. So he he caused some issues like that, but I think like his influence on it is not only because it's included in the Bible, which you know helps, um, but used the common language of the time, Latin, mm-hmm. uh, and 
brought in so many non-Jewish people to the tradition. Uh, whereas like Jesus was only preaching to Jewish people. Right. Paul started preaching to non-Jewish people and saying, yeah, you can actually be included in this. Um, and when you're focusing on poor people, uh, it's, it's better to give them something they can be a part of, you know? Right. And that, well, and this is why modern Christianity defines Paul as like the delineation line of this is when Christianity starts. It's Jesus is not the start of Christianity. The start of Christianity is afterwards with Paul being the first missionary for the salvation of Jesus, basically telling people all you got to do is believe that here he died and that he was resurrected and I know he was resurrected. So just believe what I say. He was resurrected. That's it. You don't have to do any of the other stuff. None of the other stuff required. Um, and so that is why in like modern Christianity and all from Catholicism to Protestantism to Eastern Orthodox, all of it, they really hold on to Paul as like this is the defining moment of our religion when we stepped out into the world and defined ourselves and separated ourselves from Judaism. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I don't have a whole lot more on Paul other than being able to move around the empire, writing in Latin. Right. And but in the evidence of the time, like the the most uh, generous estimates that I saw were like the population of Christianity during Paul's time is maybe fifty thousand individuals that even know, like even know about it. You know. Because there's yeah. not even like uh, like we talked about with Judaism and the formalization of it as like everyone actually has like a practice of the Torah doesn't really come around till late in the second century BCE and mostly in the first century. And it's because there's just not nothing's written down. There isn't like this universal network of connectedness where everyone has the same information. Um, but there is the evidence that this sort of uh, initial brush fire from Paul going around and those early sects and early churches and the early adoption of Gentiles, that is enough to reach a critical mass that spills over into it becomes a self-sustaining viral thing after that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, th I found it kind of interesting that uh, Peter founds the church in Rome uh, that's another sort of conspiracy theory thing that's like sh that people point to saying like, well, the Roman government had influence on developing Christianity because why would you found a church in the heart of the persecutors? <laughs> well, because that's where the um, Vatican was. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so uh, I find that kind of interesting, but I also kind of, I, I would think, you know, like a rebel group would, you know, keep your enemies close kind of thing. But, right. um, uh, but the, you know, using around this time when there was persecution of Jewish people, which, you know, some historians and scholars say was not as intense as Christians like to think. Um, but there were, uh, documented cases of Christians being thrown to the lions in the Colosseum and whatnot. Right. So, okay, you can have your victim complex. Right. Well, I, I mean, yeah, yeah, Christians are being, uh, but it's not just Christians. It's like, no. Everybody. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It, again, as I pointed out, like, you know, the population of uh, Rome 
probably around this time it was like you know maybe 40 percent slave mm-hmm. like it's it's a society that runs on slaves um it cannot like that's it was the greek joke but it's like you know uh, i figured out a way for everybody to constantly have food drink wine and relaxation at all times and they said well who will till the fields the slaves of course um <laughs> that's like the thinking there you know um they create utopia so that they don't have to do anything because these non-humans do all this stuff i mean it's the um, same it's just like all the lyrics of all those old al jolson songs you know from the yeah and i know who al jolson is <laughs> you know all the the racist musicals that were put on in america and like the turn of the 19th to the 20th century that then got made into actual movie musicals in like the 1930s and they just still had all the slave songs as were just like uh written basically like you know black people were born to do this stuff that's why i mean god obviously made them look like that so they could be out in the fields and do all those things are those songs called slave songs the kind that white people wrote uh, to no, try no, to convince? No, 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 no. Well, <laughs> okay. in in the musicals they use the slave songs, but then they make the words such that there are about like why people were born black and why we are like and so the the characters in the fields are singing the songs as if obviously, you know, this is why I was born a black person so I could work in the fields and that's the that's the lyrics that they sing in the fields to the musical versions of their life. Okay. <clears throat> well, um, I'm against slavery. I don't know if that's a novel position on this podcast. Uh, you're a bad Christian. <laughs> so uh, one other small thing around this time that I want to point out before I jump ahead politics-wise uh, is the fish symbol. Um being used by Christians, which very funny that you have a, a symbol that becomes so widely known today, even though it was, it lost meaning for like 1800 years. Yeah. Um, so the fish symbol was used because it was actually an acronym uh, for ichthus, which mm-hmm. is, stood for Jesus Christ, God's son, savior. Like you gotta fit those acronyms in, <laughs> or or for the you know. the when they found the dinosaur bones of the Ichthycosaurus there in the Mediterranean, mm-hmm. they're like, oh yes, obviously a crustaceous dinosaur. Let's like to eat fish. Yes, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking too. <laughs> um, dinosaurs and Christianity always in front of mind for me. I I was there is a another interesting thing at this time is uh, they are finding dinosaur bones all over the place, like Romans and the Greeks they. They find them all over the place. <laughs> and so they have lots of different interpretations. But there is like a, a play I was reading about when I was reading about how they had a bunch of Christian jokes and the Christians were like the dummies who didn't know how to eat. Um, uh, one of those plays has to do with uh, them finding the the bones of a monster <laughs> and trying to trying to figure out where it came from. And the, the Christians can't figure out where it was because they don't know the history of the obvious greek god that used to be the serpent that uh, caused all the problems so the christians are the ones that keep getting in the way and get killed by the monster all the time because they don't know how to how to interact with it <laughs> <laughs> but like the origin is because yeah they were finding fucking uh, giant dinosaur fossils all over the place <laughs> at the time and they were like i don't know how to explain where this skull came from 
Uh, did they also have parents that said that uh, the devil put them there? Yeah, yeah. They? It's only 6,000 years old. Right. <laughs> or sorry, um, only 4,000 at that time. It's only been, We've only been here 4,000 years. So, okay, you, you mentioned the age timeline, and I actually want to bring up, this is another kind of conspiracy theory thing real quick before we get into, like, Constantine and stuff. All right. Um, this is something that I found uh, very fascinating uh, again, don't know how accurate this actually is um, to anything. So take it with a giant grain of salt, the one that uh, Lot's wife was turned into. Uh, she was right? in a pillar, a pillar of lots of grains. Okay. Well, I'm sure there was a big grain in there because they didn't have good salt grinders at the time. Yeah. So um, it was probably flaky, you know, coming from the ocean a lot. I don't know. I mean, if God can just zap you into salt, Maybe it's like, uh, you know, perfectly crystallized, like the kind of salt you would make in the lab. How did Saul know it was salt? Did he take a taste? Uh, you mean... Um, not or, or lot? Lot. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it was just once it hit, there was like enough in the air, you know, like kind of when you go to the ocean, you can taste <laughs> in the top of your mouth. Oh, my eyes sting. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, yeah. he he obviously didn't turn back to see because then he would have also turned into salt. Oh, right. She was well, in the back of the line and like him and his daughters, like they kept walking. So we can only assume that that's just their assumption of what happened when she didn't keep following them because they couldn't actually turn around and see it happen because that means that they would have also been turned into salt. Does every person henceforth need to cast their eyes away from Sodom and Gomorrah? Only when it's by? being only when it's being destroyed by hellfire from or by fire from heaven. You okay. just can't see it be destroyed. Like you can look at the ruins. Why could you not see it be destroyed is the thing. It's because God was actually down there partying. Right, right. No one didn't God want didn't them. want everyone to know that he was actually gay. That's why he sent those gay angels to tempt all the men in the town to make sure it was a gay town. And that's what he's told Lot. He's like, look, your wife and your daughters have no place here. This is a gay town. I sent my gay angels to make sure it was a gay town. So you guys get out of here because we're going to have a gay party. And if you turn around and mm -hmm. look, that's it for you. Yeah. So go so go go sit in a cave without your wife and be all sad and trust me, I'll make sure that your daughters have sex with you so you can continue your family line. And they're going to tempt you. And it's not going to be me. It's going to be the devil that makes them tempt you, but you're going you're just going to have to do it. Yeah. Well, you know, how else do you uh propagate the rest of the world? It's tough. Man, what great stories. So the other the final um uh, conspiracy theory thing that I found pretty interesting is the pagans who ended up being the people who wrote uh, the gospels um, the people who ended up writing them were familiar with things like the Babylonian Zodiac mm -hmm. uh, you know like the Zodiac we all know and love um, you know we all have that one white woman in our life that talks about her astrology signs. Uh, my sister for me. <laughs> the gravitational um, pull of Mars was pretty intense when I was born, so that's why I've got such well, heavily yeah, influenced you know, Pisces leanings. I'm sure uh, Mercury was in retrograde, so the technology was down at the time, so you kind of entertain yourself. Right. Um, so the Zodiac origins, um, there's a few things that are kind of interesting to it. Uh, the first one being uh, 12 apostles, 12 zodiac signs. 12 months. Um, 12 months. Each 
apostle has similar like personalities to the different zodiac sign types um the which that kind of stuff is like not super interesting to me but that's you know that's fine how many can you name how many can you name i could name probably 10 of them apostles oh apostles (laughs) maybe four (laughs) well well we'll give you the first four those are the gimmies matthew mark luke john um there was a peter yeah there was a paul but not simon peter okay simon peter and then there's there were two peters weren't there yeah okay so i know that so that counts Uh, there was a paul wasn't there but not paul not saul paul Paul. right but there was a paul and judas obviously well i was going to name him next judas um how many is that i think we're up to five no i already (laughs) named the four yeah i think you're up to seven um Bartholomew, Leonardo, Michelangelo, Donatello, no. Raphael. Bartholomew's one. Yeah, Bartholomew's one. Uh, but he doesn't have a very big role, though. Um, um, no, Nicodemus is not one. Nicodemus is the tax collector. Uh, I used to do this way better. I lost it. I don't yeah. know. I can tell you the Greek alphabet if you want, but I can't. I, I could probably I, to, I could probably give you all the books of the Old Testament faster. I could give you the twelve apostles right now. Yeah, um, I I I think I learned that at one point, but totally forgot it. Oh no, I know I had to learn it. <laughs> this is the thing. I had college classes on this too because I went to Baylor. Right. You had to have a scripture class for one semester, and you had to have a church history class for one semester. So, anyways, so the zodiac thing that's very interesting to me is the the zodiac ages that the Babylonians practiced. They believed that every like uh, two thousand one hundred fifty years there is a new zodiac age. We've all seen forty year old virgin and mm-hmm. heard them sing. This is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. Ah, it's like the Mayans. Yes, similar. Um, so there's. There's these ages that they believe exist um, that, you know, believe whatever, but we'll just say they do, that everyone is culturally familiar with, which you've already described how people are culturally familiar with these uh, metaphors and stuff like that. Well, there's this cultural zeitgeist of understanding the uh, the Babylonian zodiac ages. The age that ended around the year zero, which, of course, they're not going... They weren't counting down until the year zero, obviously. Yeah. They, 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 they um, started the first year of the Earth at 6,000. And then they were like just counting back to zero because they knew that's when it was going to end. And then, right. and then it didn't. Instead, like, Jesus was born. So they're like, what the fuck are we supposed to do? <laughs> right. Uh, so they around the year zero is the end of an age, the end of the age of Aries, mm. which is a ram. And this is also the time that the the this is the end of the Jewish sacrificing rams, you know. Yeah. This is the time when you end that. Uh, Jesus comes into the world, and how many mentions in the Gospels are there to fish as we enter the age of Pisces, following the age of Aries? Uh huh. 
Uh-huh. So you have, and I know you're being sarcastic here, but this is very interesting to me that they would possibly weave this into the story. The Age of Pisces exists in the original translation of, I forget what book it is, but who cares? Um, they mentioned that Jesus will be with us until the end of the age. And in the King James version, they have till the end of the age. But in like, you know, the NIV and stuff, they say the end of the world. Yeah. Um, But there's the people who, you know, take this and kind of run with it, say they're saying that Jesus is with us through the age of Pisces. Um, And there's some mention somewhere in the Bible that maybe it's Jesus telling you or something. Can't remember if he's saying once you enter Jerusalem or enter the kingdom of heaven. But there's mention saying that there will be a man there with a pitcher of water to, you know, because you'll be thirsty. And the age after Pisces is the age of Aquarius. Mm -hmm. So I find it kind of interesting that there's the possibility that the people writing it are kind of layering in these things to have it make sense culturally at the time and trying to just bake in like a 2100 year timeline just in case so like no one when we're writing it has to really worry about the end of when jesus happens because that's so far in the future we've like put it out there where it's just unfathomably far for people to think about when the second coming of christ is gonna happen (laughs) yeah yeah of course i don't think it was necessarily put in there to try and mention this is when the second coming would occur but just trying to be like, this is your religious figure for the next, you know, 2,000 years, kind of. This is the age of Pisces. This is when you're focusing on this yeah, type I, of religion. And I whatever. don't know. It's, prob- it's probably just coincidental or everything, but, the, you know, that they're all fishermen. <laughs> they're, and yeah. not only that are they fishermen, but they're fishers of men, which is like the yes. big deal that Jesus tells them when, in the like very beginning. He's like, look, you guys, you're good at catching fish. What if you applied some of that strategy into catching people? <laughs> right. <laughs> the big dragnet. Um, yeah, so I found that kind of interesting. Um, anyways, moving on. Let's get, to, we go? let's get to 300 years after Jesus. So 300 years after Jesus, Christians are still kicking around, unfortunately. Um, and Rome has started to decline. Uh, Rome is too big, and this is something that is, uh, you know, we 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 noticed it with um, Josephus. This is something that has always been a practice of Rome, is once you conquer a people, you absorb them into the empire. Mm-hmm. And they, and, you know, of course, Republic and and all of that kind of stuff. You absorb them into Rome. They can eventually become Roman citizens. The thing that Rome starts to notice is our empire is too big. We have barbarians at the gates and we have barbarians inside of the gates. Yep. There's just destruction essentially occurring (laughs) across the empire. We've accepted too many immigrants and now we don't have an identity anymore. (laughs) Right. It's it's one of those things where they... The common Western problem. (laughs) (laughs) It's... It's, uh, you know, they start having people causing collapse <laughs> within the society, you know. Um, I'm not a Roman, so it's okay for me to be uh, pointing this out. I'm not xenophobic in this instance. Right. You know? um, 
but they they start having all of these issues and uh, before Constantine, everyone knows Constantine. We love Constantine. Praise be Constantine. Yep. You know? uh, but before him, him, none of us would be here. The the emperor decided um, this empire is too big. We're going to split the empire into the east and west. And I'm going to now make like kind of lower level emperors to rule the east and west. And as I'm doing that, I'm putting my hands on the counter or on the table uh, in the exact opposite direction of east and west. But <laughs> Left, east, right, west. Right. It was a big problem for me figuring out <laughs> cardinal directions. Yeah, you're like, I, okay, just make a W with your hand and you know which one is correct. And you're like, wait a second. <laughs> Both make yeah, W. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the... Oh, wow. I wrote the Council of Nicaea. Yes. Um, so you have this split. Um, Constantine uh, comes around because his dad, Constantinus, uh, is is uh, one of the like big generals or whatever at the time. Maybe he's like part of the government. I can't quite remember, but don't worry about it. Constantine the Lesser. Right, Constantine the former, um, uh, and so, but he's not around, uh, and and uh, Constantine's mother Helena was a Greek woman of low social status and was a Christian. So Constantine becoming a Christian is not he actually, you know, saw Jesus and the Son and was like, oh, he had influence on becoming a Christian. Right. Um, he was raised by his mom, who like a lot of people said was actually a concubine and concubine and all that kind of stuff. Right. Just like Mary. Right. Exactly. A lot of, a lot of parallels here. Um, but this actually happened. Um, and he was born in Serbia. There's theories saying that Constantine may have not been able to speak Latin, that he spoke Greek only. Okay. Um, and this becomes kind of important, uh, later on down the line. So Constantine is essentially being held as a hostage in the East by Galerius in order to keep the loyalty of his father, Constantinus, Constantius, um, (laughs) who's on the West. And the, because even though it's one empire, quote unquote, the West is crumbling and the East is gaining more power. But since the seat of Rome is in the West, it feels like it has more power. So there's a lot of clashes between these East and West rulers because the East starts, you know, getting too big for its britches. So the West is like, no, we're going to fight over this. What better way to demand loyalty than to keep a child hostage? Um, (laughs) It's a story as old as time. Right. And in 305, uh, Constantius called for his son to join him in a campaign in Britain. Um, I found this very interesting as a side note. Um, Galerius either drank too much and agreed to it or drank too much and passed out and Constantine was able to flee. As he fled, I had never heard this term before, had to look it up. As he fled, he hamstrung every horse he could find on the way to Rome meaning he cut the hamstring of every single horse so they were no longer operatable 
rideable. So nobody could chase after him. Um, insane mentality yes. to do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he fled to the West. Um, through So he fought in Britain. His father dies in 306. And then Constantine is acclaimed as the Imperator Imperator um, by his army in York, England. Now, this is during the time where where you're going to have military coups. You're going to have your army be like, you're the rightful heir to the empire. Well, I mean, it's a tradition started by Caesar, you know? <laughs> like, right, exactly. <laughs> we we kind of do I this. Mean, we kind of do this every few hundred years. Uh, whoever is in charge and the military really likes him because we won some stuff, uh, we're going to go back to Rome and claim it to be ours (laughs) you know what why don't we do this every two months yeah (laughs) (laughs) um so the the army is like you're the emperor now so constantine leads his army against uh rome wins becomes emperor um in order to make sure he has loyalty from like carthage he he has the the person he killed dug back up has them decapitated paraded through the streets then sent to carthage to be like so are you on board with me being emperor or not carthage agrees to it so now he's the western emperor the eastern emperor obviously has a problem with this they go to war constantine wins again and this is around the time when he like has his vision in the sun Mm -hmm. like around 312 he looks up at the sun and sees the cross. So yeah. he paints the cross on all their shields. This is the story they tell. He looked um, at the sun and he burned his retina and he then had floaty things in his eyes for days afterwards <laughs> that just saw this X everywhere. And he's like, I guess that's the symbol I need to put on all the cross and all the shields. Do you think that's what Trump was trying to do? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trump was looking for, for his way of, uh, of defining his his entire military practice as a spiritual devotion. Right. (laughs) So the, the, it's insane to me that the sun can blind people like that's, that's like, it doesn't seem like we evolved correctly. You know, seems almost like an unintelligent design to make it so that we can't look at the sun. Right. Um, the, there's secular scholars that say that the, uh, that Constantine believed in the sun god of Rome, uh, Solus, and he just received a sign that the Solus wanted him to fight under the sign of the cross. Mm-hmm. Not that it was a a Christian religious sort of right, awakening. right, or that he had even like an understanding of uh, cr- uh, the Judean spirituality transitioned into Christian spirituality or anything like that. If anything, like he's kind of like. This guy was kind of like a barbarian a little bit, and uh, he might have had his own ideas about like animalistic gods and weird materialism type of stuff, and maybe he was just looking for a olive branch to that a thing a thread that would bind the bind the <laughs> empire together for a little bit longer. Yeah, uh, and that's you know, so he becomes the emperor of Rome in its entirety, um, and in what like. So that was when he emerged victorious in 324. Yeah, 325, against, 324, yeah. Against uh, Maxentius and Licinius. Uh, Licinius done dirty in his bust. That's a bad statue. Oh, no. <laughs> they they give him like uh, 
too much too much nose and too much top lip. Did you not see? I guess I didn't you don't see it. check your text for me. I did uh, check I my text. This. You sent a picture of him. I sent a picture of him yesterday at four twenty-eight, six twenty-eight your time. Did I respond? He's a real. He's given a real kind of face. He's checking. Checking my text. Checking my text. He didn't get it. No, I didn't get it. Yeah, you're you're busy. You're busy. It's okay. Well, I tweeted it anyway. Okay, so yeah. I'll at you. I later. guess I guess I just don't get images from you very good. I don't know. Maybe it's your green mm. phone. That's probably it. So, nothing to do with your phone uh, <laughs> trying to actively destroy <laughs> my type of phone. Uh, so, my phone's you know, more Constantine. Okay, so Constantine <laughs> moves the capital to Byzantium. Now, the movement of this capital is, I think, what cements Christianity as this is the way forward for so much of the world, uh, and here's why. Well, yeah, I, w- I would just say it's moving it, it establishes almost like, okay, we're going to have like an act, it legitimizes the we're, the scholarly aspect of this, like... It legitimizes, yeah, there's a lot of disagreement about the way things are going, but you know what? We're we're making a figurehead position. Uh, we're establishing a center point, and this is going to be the spot where everybody can like come and discuss, and we can iron this shit out for once and for all. Well, yeah, so he so the the east of the capital of the empire uh, is where the riches are flowing through in the West is a remote depopulated area that keeps getting attacked by German, uh, tribes. Right. Similar to America. It's, it establishes in the East and then it's all like wilderness and frontier to the West for many years after. (laughs) Yeah. But kind of in reverse order. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Uh, It's like if, you know, somebody built, uh, the seven, uh, fence around the seven hills of Montana and then realized all the port cities are kind of where stuff is happening. Right. Moves east. <laughs> um, so they moved east. It's rich because this is where all of the wars are taking place. If you're fighting against German tribes, uh, Germanic tribes, and and not really winning, uh, kind of just losing your own military and losing morale and everything. You're not winning riches there. No. You're, if you're fighting against the Persians, there's a chance you're going to make some big bucks. Yeah. What are we going to do with all these bear skins and wooden spears? I, right. No resale value. Right. So they they he moves it to the east because that's where the riches are. It had already been... Now, uh, Byzantium is where they move it to. I, it was uh, Nicomedia was the original spot that they were thinking of moving to. In fact, Constantine said Nicomedia is my Rome. Um, but they ended up moving to Byzantium, very close uh, to it. But essentially, I mean, that's where Istanbul is now, um, mm-hmm. it's the same city. Um, it's that choke point between Europe and Asia, essentially, you don't really want to deal with the the Ruskies <laughs> up north, um, or the Mongols and all those folks. Um, so they uh, named the city Constantinople in 330, but this is where the new place is. The city is protected by relics like the True Cross. So 
They believe they have the cross Jesus was cru- mm-hmm. crucified on. Uh, they have the rod of Moses, like the little one that turned into a snake. Yep. Um, which is where the Gadsden flag comes from. Um, and do they claim to have the Ark of the Covenant? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, very funny that uh, Constantine was a Christian. He said he became Christian, um, but they have like carvings of him being crowned by the the Taichi of the city, like the the deity for the city. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but then they kind of reverse engineer. They're like, well, that's like an angel. Um, <laughs> it was God anointing. Yeah, so the thing, this is where you get the split. So the important thing that I wanted to get to. The East, you have Byzantium, Constantine. They form the church there. And this is what develops into the Eastern Orthodox Christianity. Um, yes. The West, you had Rome. Rome is falling apart. You also have the Pope. And because the Roman Empire in the West is just dissolving, the Pope is like, Maybe I'm kind of in charge. Yeah. You know, God kind of s- talks to me the most. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have direct communication with God. We're the original church that Peter founded. Um, why would I take any instruction from the quote unquote emperor who's off in the East? Doesn't even want to be here during the destruction of the world. I'm the one in charge. And you start to have a power struggle for the rest of time, pretty much between these two things. This is how you get the uh, Roman Catholic side. And then the Eastern Orthodox side where the Eastern Orthodox church, they believed each church has a patriarch that the bishops of each church uh, are the heads of the church and we're all equal, but we come literally under Caesar, we come under the emperor. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the Roman Catholic side, they're like, no, we're the word of God. We're above the emperor. Right. Um, And that's where you get all of this important stuff that happens in history (laughs) from then on. Well, it it, it causes an interesting dynamic. One that happens quickly on the Western side where you have um, series of like monarchies and then overthrown monarchies by people because the church gets behind them and has superior authority over the over the kings and conversely in like the russian tradition the emperors stay the emperors for a longer time before there is mm-hmm. ultimately a, an overthrow of the monarchy and the royal system in in russia yeah so uh Going back in history a tiny bit, Constantine calls the First Council of Nicaea in 325. Mm -hmm. Um, This was because they realized there's a lot of different kind of stuff going on, and this is causing schisms all over Christendom. Right. Primarily the monotheistic um, question, philosophical monotheistic question. Like, there already is belief in... God the Father, and, like, uh, the Holy Spirit. The question is, uh, is Jesus a different God? And thus, you, like, have multiple gods, and it's not a monotheistic religion? Uh, Or is Jesus 
part of God. And if Jesus is part of God, like what are the material stuff that he's made out of? Is he made out of just God stuff or is he also made out of human stuff? Does he is he actually created as like part of Mary? So that's like he is a, his material properties are not just God stuff. So does that make him a separate God or does that still make God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus all one and the same one God? And how do we mm-hmm. negotiate these discrepancies? The the big point, too, that like I think you've emphasized is they had these this like discussion and they thought like, OK, that's we're going to solve it. Uh, and then people didn't <laughs> follow what they said, obviously. No. Just like um, if you would have like a, uh, if you would commune a meeting of like the Presbyterians and the Pentecostals and the Baptists and everybody right now, and they would all go to that retreat and they'd all eat food and, you know, talk with each other about their favorite sports teams and like, yeah, that's a pretty interesting idea. And then they'd all just go back to their churches and would be like, can you believe what those fucking Baptists are saying we're supposed to do? <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> so they they he thought like this will solve it um didn't solve it and so it's recalled again to the the council of constantinople or the second council of nicaea um where they actually have like a written creed of this is what we believe like it literally <laughs> says that multiple times mm-hmm. we believe in blah 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 um well it's almost like an oath like the things that people yeah. will say that if you say this now we're holding you to it and like your whole like if you break it it means like people can come to your whole household and kill all your servants and your slaves and your family (laughs) you we're holding you to these these vows that you make now so we we formalized it yeah it was oh that was that's the interesting thing sorry from the first council of nicaea that you had arius of alexandria arguing that there was that like since jesus is the son of god that means he was like born of god which means there was a time when god was a was a single guy yeah didn't have a son um and apparently arius was so passionately describing this that uh saint nicholas who you know santa claus got up and slapped the shit out of him (laughs) so hard he went to prison (laughs) uh constantine let let uh, Santa Claus out of jail after that, but yeah, <laughs> very funny to imagine that people are getting that passionate over these things. Well, I mean, it mattered because uh, they—I don't know if it's the first one or the second one—but they eventually get to like the divinity of Mary and stuff like that too. Because yeah, if like Jesus comes from a human lady that we all say is human, but somehow is able to conceive a God baby, does that mean she's all? She must also be God. Like obviously, obviously she's God. She's a God. Right? Yeah. Right. <clears throat> yeah. The the thing that's established during the second council, the one in 381, um, one of the important points that causes further rifts uh, between the East and West um, is one of the lines of the creed is, and we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life who proceeds from the Father, meaning the Holy Spirit comes from God. Um, you know, right. it's it comes out of God. It's not a third thing, which causes issue later on when you get to the Trinity. Uh, it's it is the Spirit of God. Um around the sixth century, the West Catholic side is like, well, 
we've already decided that God and Jesus are two separate beings. Yeah. So we're going to add uh, who proceeds from the Father and the Son to the end of this creed. Um, meaning the Holy Spirit comes from both God and Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that obviously causes issue because they're like, no, that's not what we believe. Um, you get... Go ahead. I was just they they like have to come to the, the idea where they both just say Jesus is the true God and God the Father is also the true God. But since right. we're both only one thing can be the true God, so they must be one thing. Like they yeah. they do their little circular logic to 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 come to an agreement. <laughs> it's like it's like the James Acaster bit where he's describing like you know it's so funny when people say and he or she. <laughs> like they're always like huh can't can't catch me can't catch me i said and she i included women in my thought um it's one of those things when they say god and the son um but the so the power struggle emerges um you know the pope obviously starting to say we're the ruler of christianity we're not going to listen to you the eastern churches are starting to say no you're equal to us so Let's all decide on these things together. And also we have the true emperor of Rome living here. So his weight is kind of more important than what you're saying. Mm -hmm. um, you have uh, uh, Emperor Justinian coming in in like 527. Uh, Justinian is actually able to reclaim much of the territory that had been sacked by German tribes, including Rome, the entire Italian peninsula. Mm -hmm. Um, Justinian also, uh, where is this? I would say the important of Justinian here is like this is similar when we talked uh, about the Judean tradition, but from the archeological record and from the written record and from where there's evidence of like buy-in from the population and that they're going to start to do whatever the rituals are required of them. And they're all going to start to actually read and everyone sort of has an understanding of what's in the gospels and that type of thing that happens during justinian the first reign so if you really want to say when was the actual foundation of christianity as an organized religion that was established amongst people and like people knew what the edicts of the religion were even if they didn't believe in it or were from a different religion that happens under justinian's reign so I, I would like officially from a historical perspective of the practice and um, adoption of the religion on on a whole scale that happens just with Justinian. Like that could be the clear defining of this is the beginning of Christianity is with Justinian's reign. Justinian too, and this is you know why I care about this stuff and why I like talking about it is because it it connects to today. Um, so directly with things. Uh, Emperor Justinian built the Church of the Blessed Virgin Mary on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem in, uh, you know, the early 700s. The Muslim Caliph Al-Walid I turned the church into the Al-Aqsa Mosque that is there today. The Al-Aqsa Mosque is the one that the um, Israeli defense force goes and, you know, shoots uh, tear gas into every few weeks uh, when <laughs> when 
people are there. Jesus. So um, it's, you know, connecting those things together is like so interesting to me to see like it, this is the direct line to, you know, modern day kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I, I found that pretty interesting that Justinian is the one that builds this church that gets turned into this mosque that there is current day, um, you know, literal bloodshed <laughs> being spilled. Right. Because people are there worshiping uh, under Islam instead of, um, you know, Judaism because it's the Temple Mount. Right. And well, I mean, that leads to this current pro- prohibitions like you can't just go and change it because that would bring about existential war. <laughs> like right. you, you, you can't just go and, and upend it now. Um, and which is why it maintains in so much tension. So, um, you know, I want, I have kind of a stopping point, but I'll run through some history here. Go for it. Um, between 700 and 842, you have, you know, the Germanic tribes start taking over and essentially the Eastern Empire is just kind of like, you know what, the West, screw it. Like, we're we're tired of dealing with that. Um, we have the church in Rome, so we'll just say we're Roman. Mm-hmm. But this is like where you get kind of the complete collapse of what some people say, the collapse of the Roman Empire. Even though the Eastern Empire lasted until the 1500s and was or the 15th century, can't remember. And they called themselves Romans completely, even though they spoke like Greek. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Western Roman Empire, Rome, falls, essentially. But not, um, but not the Catholic Church. Not the Catholic Church. But what's interesting, the way that it falls to, like, you know, the Goths and everything like that, the people take over, like, Roman cities... And then they just like move into the Roman houses and start wearing clothes like Romans did and stuff. Right. It's not like they destroy everything and build these giant spires immediately, um, you know, wear eyeliner and everything. Right. It's very like, okay, we took over the city and hey, they have pretty good plumbing here, so we're going to keep it. Um, <laughs> but the Roman uh, Catholic Church exists still. Because it's grown in power, uh, it has, you know, like military forces and stuff it commands, but it's not strong enough to fight all of these Germanic tribes at all times. So in 800, um, when the Franks captured a lot of the Western Roman Empire region, uh, the Pope goes to Charlemagne, who we've heard of, Mm -hmm. and asks for protection. Charlemagne grants it. So then the Pope in turn says okay, well, now you're like the Holy Roman Emperor. Uh, And this is the founding of the Holy Roman Empire, which... Well, and it's another example of taking a a quote-unquote barbarian interloper and then they get to be the emperor. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Saying that you're the emperor now is very interesting to do to somebody that you're like, can you please protect me? Um, You know, as long as you say the Pope has dominion over christianity then it's not that big of a deal um you know every single video you you watch though on the holy roman emperor they love to point out that uh oh god how am i gonna do this and then forget the name of the person not nietzsche who who's the philosopher that a lot of libertarians like to point to rousseau uh, mm, no that. uh kierkegaard 
<laughs> All right, you're going. That's uh, you know too much about philosophy. <laughs> Holy Roman Empire. You, you got to tell me which era of philosophy you're wanting here that libertarians love. It's the n- Voltaire. Oh, Voltaire. Um, Voltaire. So you know, just imagine I said this uh, fluidly. Uh, the Holy Roman Empire was neither holy nor Roman nor an empire. Um, but the dynasty of the Holy Roman Empire is going to bring us up to where I want to get to next time we talk about all of this stuff. Um, Martin Luther. You Yes. You have... Uh, so you have the Holy Roman Empire establishing around this time in 726. The Byzantine Empire decides... You know what? All these icons of Jesus and Mary and stuff, it says we're not supposed to have these images. Right. So they start destroying images, which the Pope is in Rome is not agreeing to. Um, so it's you have these schisms along things like that. You have this disagreement between leavened bread or unleavened bread at, during consecration. Um, so if you go to an Eastern Orthodox church, they'll have like a nice little cake for you. And yeah, yeah. That's part of the, I think that's part of the council of Nicaea too, where they define what that means. The leavened versus unleavened bread controversy. Um, yeah, I think in 926, this is also the interesting thing. King, the German King Otto was crowned the Roman, the Holy Roman emperor established a a line of Holy Roman emperors that lasted until 1806 when they were conquered by Napoleon Bonaparte. Wow. So again, how modern all of this stuff suddenly becomes. It's like in a flash, it feels. Well, I mean, in a flash, because we talked about like 4,000 years of Egyptian history in a flash. (laughs) And now we've only gone for, we've only done like 600 to 800 years now. And there's so much has happened but it's just it's closer to our time and much more is being written there's a lot more dialogues of the of the most marginalized people in the society are getting talked about too not just the rulers um and i think the the other thing to notice is a lot of this happens to outside of the um individual day-to-day practices of just day-to-day people you know in Mm -hmm. life uh these decisions are being made to try to uniformly understand this stuff which is trying to uh calm down periods that have just been destroyed by war over these types of things and it's a attempt at formalizing something so we can have less of a reason to just slaughter each other all the time um yeah and so it's not like the the Nicene Creed went out and then everybody to a man in the civilization had to make the vow or they were put to death or exiled to Illyria or whatever. That was just the, the clergy or the people that were there at the meeting. If they decided, I'm not going to say the creed, then those guys got exiled. But it's not like they went door to door to every single person in the empire and told them to do the creed or not the pro- the day-to-day average life of the individuals didn't change very much except for the fact that they weren't being like hustled up to go fight another military campaign like they had been doing every year previous to that 
Yeah, you. I mean, we're, we'll get to the point of, uh, you know, the what's the shits called? The things where you're paying money to get people out of purgatory and everything. Yeah, indulgences. <laughs> you know, like so that you'll get to that kind of stuff. But w- later on, when more information becomes withheld from from the public and the power dynamics created by the head of the Catholic Church and the Pope versus even kings in other lands, the when the power becomes so high, like even in like a, an ancient Egyptian society where the priest maintained power because of an information vacuum over the people, um, the, the numbers of, of human beings are much smaller. And the... the uh, amount of regional influence one person has over another group is much smaller. The the spreads of which where you're getting resources are much smaller. Um, so the amount of power one can wield isn't as great as it becomes later on with how the Pope handles things from like uh, 900 to 1600. <laughs> like mm-hmm. the, the amount of control that people get because of a formalization and a hierarchy and uh, a bureaucracy that is created. Um, th- I, I think it's probably just part of the human condition or whatever, but you know, we don't, it's harder for us to Im- imagine how, how large a system can be coordinated and organized above our heads and not think of it as like, some huge monolith that we could not penetrate instead of thinking of it as a house of cards or a stack of very rudely put together sticks where one stick can be removed and the whole thing falls apart. We just see the, the grandiosity of the thing above us and we cower in its presence rather than seeing the fragility of it's just being a bunch of individual human beings that are doing whatever they can to hold on to power. Yeah. I think seeing it as a big structure is, uh, you know, one of these things that's like outside of the day-to-day life, but a huge structure nonetheless that controls society is how Europe proceeds for the next thousand years after this. Um, And that Christianity starts as a little bit of a rebellion against a societal way of being that is right. uniform to everyone and throughout a quick 300 years goes from being this uh, ragtag group of rebellion on the outskirts of society to being like, okay, now we are coalescing power. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was talking about, how the Christianity is against the authority and then becomes the authority. Um, and... Uh, you know, so around 1053 too, you start having the Latin churches shut down uh, by the Patriarch of Constantinople. Then you have the Pope shutting down Greek churches in the Italian peninsula or forcing them saying, no, you're speaking Latin now mm-hmm. um, and you're using wafers. Um, 1054, the Pope is trying to get aid for defense against Norman invaders so he decides, okay, I'm going to go ask Constantinople, can you please send some troops to help us out here? So he sends a group of people uh, to Constantinople. The patriarch refuses to meet with them. So then they decide, you know what? You're excommunicated. Yeah. <laughs> You're kicked out yeah, of the church. Pope, Pope more powerful than patriarch. 
we get to uh, decide your fate. Right. Uh, to which the patriarch then says, actually, no, you're excommunicated. <laughs> um, and this is what is called like the Great Schism or the East-West Schism um, of 1054. Uh, very interesting that this kind of thing, you start feeling like you're self-reliant if you're the Pope in the West. Um, very interesting that you're like, wow, so uh, we no longer care about those people, but we don't have a whole lot of money coming in. And there's this entire uh, Muslim caliphate stretching from Spain all the way across Northern Africa all over the Middle East and all up into Asia. Yep. <laughs> um, they have a lot of money. They also have the holy sites and people are getting a little restless with how we're controlling things. So why don't we instead say, let's go take back the Holy Land. Let's go help those yeah. Christians that we don't really like, but we'll go help them fight off the, the uh, Muslim invasion in the east and finally that little island up to the north has gotten its shit together and it's you know a little more organized now we can uh can use their influence now that they've uh taken over france and they're they've got a got a lot more military might uh we're gonna we're gonna run from their throne for a while and make sure that's the one that legitimizes this campaign (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh i I didn't know a whole lot about the Crusades, which I don't really want to get into deeply because we've been going long here. Um, I think starting off with the Crusades next time before we get to the Reformation will make enough sense. Oh, yeah, yeah. All we got to do is talk about, look at all the bodies that piled up, and then there was a plague. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Very, not funny, not ha-ha funny, uh, but very interesting that... um, they decided that they would lead a people's crusade first. So not soldiers going to take back the Holy land. They thought that just, you know, men, women, children, monks Mm -hmm. walking into Jerusalem was going to be like cool. And the Muslims were going to go, Oh, actually I now see those. Oh, these are your artifacts. Here you go. Right. Um, yeah, they, they ended up getting just decimated. (laughs) Uh, so don't look up any pictures of the People's Crusade. Um, <laughs> they they had cameras. Uh, I found it also interesting that this is around the time kind of when the rise of calling Jews Christ killers really started having some problems for Jewish people. Um, obviously, this was a notion that arose in early Christianity. It was a charge made by Justin Martyr. Um, and Melito of Sardis as early as the second century. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was like bad news. During the Crusades, it was like, yeah, we're going to fight uh, all the Muslims and oh, you're Jewish, you're going to get killed too. Right. Um, It was a time, obviously, of very bad stuff. As the Crusaders are marching through even Byzantium, the Eastern Roman Empire, they're not respectful to those people because they're not the correct kind of Christians. They're, you know, destroying towns and everything. Um, and then even in the times that they are successful in the Crusades, they don't give the land back over to uh, what is then the Roman Empire. They just set up Crusader kingdoms. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you leave, and you they leave, you us. leave castles along the way, and then the knights guard those castles, and it's just your it's colonialism. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But that's, I think, where I'll end it today. 
Well, good job, Eric. You brought us through, what is that, 1,070 years of, of Christian history. I guess only... Uh, I guess only 600 or so where it was actually established where people gave a shit about it and weren't just uh, trying to run these people off. Believe it or not, Christianity easier to talk about than Judaism. <laughs> having having some familiarity with something allows you to... Well, I, I, you're, you, just, uh, you just feel way more comfortable just... Uh, giving shit to all the Christians and you're a little, you're a little worried to touch the stove there on the, on the Judean page. Rightly so. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you, what you don't, what you fail to understand is that actually Christians are the most persecuted group in history, including modern times. Yeah. And I'm you're, and you're, you're doing that right now. You're, you're doing, you're doing it. You're doing the persecution. Yeah, it's it's definitely one of those people being like, you can be racist against white people. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right, man. Well, we got miles to go. Um, I'll I'll see you. Well, this will probably this second one will probably come out after you've already come to visit us. Since uh, I'm going to yeah, cut this one in half, we're going to cut this one in half. We're going to probably talk about just fun stuff next week. So when, so when people listen to this one in the middle of July, they'll know that we actually recorded it on June 29th, or is today June 30th? <laughs> it's the 30th. All right, yeah. <laughs> See, I forgot because, you know, time, the, the time-space continuum got turned on its head yesterday, so I'm, I'm still loose, loosey-goosey with, you know, what dates and times are nowadays. Yeah, spy, it's, uh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, until next week. Bye.